trust the sweetest frame but holy lean on jesus
like that part of the song where we declare, my heart will sing no other name. That's, we're, we're making the choice there. Will we let Jesus be just the Savior or the Lord of our life too? Right? And I feel like, I feel like when we're able to say that Jesus is, is, is Lord over our life, and we rest in that promise of being in his embrace, we can trust then when the trials come. And James says in chapter one, starting at verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Skipping down to verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I don't know about you, it's, it's hard, that very first line, consider it pure joy, right? It doesn't always um, come easy. I feel like for myself, I've found though, that through the trials I'm taught patience and I'm taught long suffering and I'm taught how to daily surrender my sins of bitterness or anger at the feet of Jesus because I cannot do that on my own. So somehow these trials just take me straight to my knees and that's the best place to be. this morning what trials you're facing we probably all came in with different heaviness on our heart and here through this song we're reminded of of the fathers in our faith who have been literally in the fire and that God has protected them in his hands or our father faith fathers who have walked through the sea with walls on each side and he was faithful to them and he's faithful to us, and he'll be faithful in the future. And church, let's not forget that. There's a grace when the heart is under fire. are closing in and when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone there was another in the fire standing next to me there was another in the water holding back the seas 
should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free. There is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. There was another in the fire.
oh God, because without you, we are not able to please you. Mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Hi, my name is Brian Nurick. Um, I've been going to this church for a long time, uh, 20 some years. And I was asked to do the connection moment this morning, so tacos on the screen. It's on purpose, no one messed up in the back. I'm a school teacher. I've been a school teacher, uh, high school English teacher for 16 years. Um, this is my 17th year of teaching. And when I was asked if I would be willing to do the connection moment, I thought, you know, what's kind of, what can I talk about? What's going on in my life? Um, and I thought, well, this would be interesting, or at least hopefully it's interesting. Um, I no longer teach high school English. I'm a middle school English teacher this year. <laughs> I switched from teaching at Benjamin Logan High School, which is way out in the middle of cornfields in Logan County, um, to Urbana Middle School, Urbana Junior High. Um, very different. Anybody been to Urbana before? Yep, if you've been to Urbana, you've not been to Ben Logan because they do not look anything alike. <laughs> They're totally opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, I went from driving out in the country to now I drive into a city. I went from the closest gas station being seven miles in the opposite direction from home at the high school I taught at to there are now 10 fast food restaurants within a quarter mile of where I teach and I get a 45 minute open campus lunchtime and so I'm gonna gain a lot of weight. Um, very, very different. Very different experience, very different setting. Uh, brand new, uh, brand new staff, brand new building, brand new curriculum, brand new people. I went from having a staff of teachers that I had worked with for almost 20 years, because I taught and left and came back, to being the new guy in the building and being brand new. In fact, um, I was really, really complimented. One teacher said, you know, did you just graduate college last year? And I was like, uh, you're my new best friend and you get chocolate every day. I was like, no, I'm 43 years old. She's like, well, you don't look it. And I was like, yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> Tell my wife, right? Um, so it's a brand new experience. It's a brand new, it's a brand new everything. Uh, somebody the other day asked me, what's your building like? I'm like, I teach in a spaceship. <laughs> it's 18 months old. It's not even measured in years. It's, not, it's a brand new building with everything is brand new. And I got to tell you, the other day, I was uh, heading away from school. I had gone through orientation, hadn't even had students yet. And I was just, my head was full. Does that make sense at all? My brain was full. Um, trying to memorize names and faces and trying to memorize where my room was. I walked in the wrong wing twice. Um, trying to make sure that I knew that that's the superintendent, not the janitor. And I mean, that's really where I was, you know. You know, trying to make sure, and my head was full, and, and I was just having, it wasn't a bad day, and I didn't feel like I was in the wrong place, but I just thought, you know what, I need something to make me feel better on the way home. And like I said, I passed 10 fast food restaurants. And I don't know why this came over me, but I passed Taco Bell, and I thought, you know what, I've not had Taco Bell in a hot minute. Let's get some Taco Bell for the drive home, because it's about a 25-minute drive home. I drive down 36 from Milford Center to Urbana every day. And I thought, let's get some Taco Bell. Now, you should pick up on this already. How many of you already know that Taco Bell in the car is a bad idea? Okay, so I went through Taco Bell and I got myself two chalupas, which are these full, crispy, shelled things and a Mountain Dew. And, and I've also forgotten to mention that I drive a five-speed, so... Right? Yeah. Okay. Never doing that again on camera. <laughs> I don't know what came over me, and I don't know why I thought that would work, but I decide that these tacos are going to make me feel better from my day. And so I head off down 36, and I have not even passed John Deere yet when the contents of the first taco literally are all over the floorboard of my car. My driver's side looks like someone has rolled down my window and thrown the taco inside of it. 
I don't know if I've gotten a third of it into my mouth, but there's two. So I think, okay, okay, at least I get this other one. I unwrap this taco, and I, I'm getting some, and I'm thinking, okay, okay, I'm getting some bites, and it tastes good. And then all of a sudden, I notice that there's something hot on my leg, and I look down, and the beef juice has dripped all over my khaki pants. And I mean, you're a teacher. You've got like two good pairs of pants, and you wear them all the time. I now have one good pair of pants. I mean, like, like it, like, and it's not like something that Spot Shot's going to take care of. This is like, there's not an essential oil on the plane that's going to pull this thing out of my pants, okay? Pull into the drive of my house, and I've had, I've consumed one of the two tacos I've eaten. I, there's a mess I'm going to have to pick up. There's shredded lettuce and tomato and cheese on the, on the floorboard of the car. The Mountain Dew was watered down. Whoever had done the mix in the fountain had messed it up. And I pulled into my house, and I kind of looked down at my ruined pants, and I thought, that didn't work. And I kid you not, I kid you not, like an audible voice in my car from the passenger seat, I heard the Holy Spirit God, Jesus, say to me, I would have liked to hear about your day. And it caught my attention so much that I wish I, wish I could film it. I literally like head swiveled, like I thought, are you here? <laughs> it caught my attention so much. And there was zero judgment. There was zero anger. There was zero frustration. It was a simple statement of, I would have liked to have heard about today. I got to be honest with you, I have covered this entire transition from Benjamin Logan Turban in prayer. I have stayed up nights praying. I've gone up early praying. I've prayed, 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 prayed. God has heard about it. But, you know, on the day that was a non-bad day, and I'm an English teacher, I can say that, <laughs> I still didn't tell him about that. Amy said something very interesting this morning. It never ceases to amaze me how the Holy Spirit uses what we say in this place. She and I have had zero conversations about what I was going to say today. She asked the, the question this morning, is he the Savior of our life? If he's your Savior or is he the Lord of your life? There's no doubt that Jesus is my Savior. And I don't feel like I was putting my salvation in danger by getting Taco Bell. There's nothing wrong. Well, there's nothing wrong with Taco Bell, okay? But if he's the Lord of my life, how come I didn't turn to him for that? Does that make any sense? Why didn't I just say to him I've had a bad day? And all I know, he'd have been like, hey, don't get the chalupas, get a gordita, and you'd be okay. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, I chose Taco Bell first before I chose Jesus. I chose Taco Bell, I chose fast food comfort, and you clearly know there was no comfort over Jesus in that moment. And so I don't know where that takes you today or where that puts you today or what that says to you, but I know Pastor Paul's going to come and speak, and I just want to remind you this morning, maybe that's my role today. Let me just remind you, the big things he's concerned about the small things he's concerned about, and he wants to know about all of them, if that helps. Pastor Paul's going to come, and he's going to bring what God's put on his heart for us to hear. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the imagery, and it's, uh, isn't it good to hear from other people? Uh, you know, I know I enjoy hearing from other people other than my own voice on Sunday mornings, and thank you, Brian, for that. And uh, you'll be hearing from others, and uh, we want this to be part of what we're doing, to connect with all aspects of our church. You know, there's probably, there, there's Sundays that are bad to preach, um, after Dr. Manley. I cannot stand preaching after Dr. Manley because I feel like I'm preaching like this, right? Because he's so animated. Daylight savings times. Oh, man, you guys are all so sleepy. You're sleepy some Sundays anyhow, but particularly daylight savings times. OSU losses. <laughs> you know, I was never... I didn't, want, no, I didn't root against Ohio State, but, but I was never an Ohio State fan till I came to be your pastor. And now every Saturday afternoon, I'm praying, oh, Lord, please let them win. 
so that they will receive the message that you have in mind for them today. And for some of you, I may just need to open the altars right now so you can come and pray. But can we get past that today and still hear from God? It was 1997. Did anybody do Stand in the Gap with Promise Keepers? Anybody in here at Stand in the Gap? Okay, so I did Stand in the Gap with Tri-County Church of the Nazarene. I'm not sure if, Josh, you went with us. You were probably too young. Uh, but we went to Stand in the Gap, rode a bus up uh, from Hamilton, Ohio, and uh, played 20 hours or 25 hours of euchre on the way there and on the way back. Uh, I remember that, a lot of hands of euchre. And then we, we did some exploring the first night, and I had my two two of my nephews with me, um, Clinton and David. David ended up being my youth pastor, worship leader at Trenton, and he was probably 14 or 15. And so we're in downtown Washington, D.C. Anybody ever ride the trains in Washington? You know, there's, they have the trains, and, and they don't run quite like New York. They're a little bit less. They, they sometimes seem to shut down. And, and so we were downtown, and, and, and the train was on the other side of, a, of the station. You could see it over there, and, and yet we couldn't get there. And about, about half our guys just went crazy and started sprinting and jumping over turnstiles and jumping over tracks to get to the other side. And everybody in the train station was kind of looking at him like they were insane, right? And, and David took off, my nephew. And I went, David, stop! And he looked at me, and he looked at them, and he looked at me. And finally he came back to me and, 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 and they ran and made fools of themselves, got on the train, and the train, no lie, went right to where we were. You know, we, we got on the train, the doors opened, we walked on, and they were all breathing heavy and, and looking so smug. And then they looked up and they felt really foolish because everybody was looking at them like tourists, right? And I told David, I said, David, those guys won't get you home. I'll get you home or your sister will kill me or my sister will kill you, kill me. You know, the, the question is, it matters who you trust, who you put your faith in. Uh, you know, we, we understand this in the simple things in life. You get wrong advice from a financial advisor or, or a car mechanic or a car salesman. You know, wrong advice can create problems in your life. Wrong directions. Anybody ever get wrong directions? Who in here gives wrong directions, just so I can know? Uh, you know, wrong advice, wrong directions. It matters who you trust. And so we're, we're dealing with this idea of lost and found. And, and, and Josiah, this good king of, of Judah, of Israel, uh, was looking for a renewal. They, they had lost their trust in God. They, they weren't trusting God. That, it was just as simple as that. And, and so Josiah, who is this good king of Judah, you know, it's the divided kingdom. Israel's gone. Judah remains. And so this is Jerusalem. Uh, Judah is, 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 the, is where he, we're at. And, and Josiah, in 2 Kings, it says this, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord like he did with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength. And last week we focused on 2 uh, Chronicles 34, 1 through 3. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And so Josiah was this God-seeking king, that, that he was seeking hard after God. And, and, and so renewal, revival, whatever language you want to use here, begins when we make the choice, I believe we make the choice, 
to seek after God. And, and it's, it's interesting because we don't see immediate renewal, but we see this period where Josiah is seeking after God. And then moving on in the passage, in his 12th year. <laughs> so it's 12 years of seeking God. He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, Asherah poles and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the bells were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. Then he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on the altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali. And in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. So we have this good king who's seeking after God, that, that after he's been in, in power for 12 years, he begins to destroy all of these false idols. Now, now, Israel, Judah, they were God's people, and we kind of traced through that last week. And, and you know, these are Abraham's children, and, and they've been rescued from slavery. And, and as they're rescued from slavery, God gives them these Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, 2 through 6, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. He's telling them you're, you're unique. You're different. Because it's common in this time for, for people to worship many gods, de depending on the season, de depending on where they live, uh, depending on their culture. And, and to Israel, God says, you will worship me alone. You won't hedge your bets. There's one God, and you will worship me alone. And you will not include in your religion all these other idols that culture throws at you. Asherah and Bel, these are common Canaanite gods. And Asherah is a more particular god, but you see, usually they talk about the Bells because the Bells are often regional gods. And so it's plural. And so there's this ideal that the Israelites are finding themselves in different areas, different countries, different cultures. And each of those cultures would have different gods, different bells. And as they were encountering these different cultures, they would grab hold of those bells, those gods, those idols. And God's saying, I'm God alone. Worship only me. Now, throughout the history of Israel and Judah, most of the time, most of the time, they had some, some form of God worship, where, where they worshipped either in the tabernacle or the temple. That, that was part of their culture, that, that God was God. And so most of the time, they would worship God at some point through their week. There were a few bad kings that, 
that really didn't worship God at all. Usually you would see this in Israel, which was the northern kingdom where Jerusalem wasn't. And so for them to worship God in Jerusalem was not always convenient or good. And so in Israel, you would find some kings that just turned completely to foreign gods. But, but for the most part, particularly in Judah, this ideal of worshiping God was something they did. But they had just-in-case gods, regional gods. And you see this throughout their history, that it wasn't that they stopped worshiping God, but they begin to include regional, just in case, hedging their bet gods. And Josiah saying, no, we will have no other gods but Jehovah. So what do we learn? Renewal begins when we seek God and fully place our trust in Him alone. So the question for you today, do you have any false idols in your life? Now, now I would be surprised. Raise your hand if you do. We, we won't judge you. Anybody have an Asherah pole in their backyard? Yeah, I, I don't think so. Any bells in the basement, right? Uh, you know, probably you don't have idols like that. Uh, th this isn't about images. This is about trust. Where are you going to put your trust? What do you trust most? Like the idols of old, most of these things that we trust come through our culture. They're things we depend on other than God. And if you're here today, I believe that, that, that almost everyone, I, I would say everyone in this room, you have good intentions and, and, and you're pursuing good, not evil. You're not sitting here contemplating how you can kill your neighbor, right? You're good people. If, if, if you are, let's talk to me after and we'll help you there. But, but you're good people. You, you desire good things, not evil things. You don't worship evil. You know, you're, you're not saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to find some evil idol to worship. But what happens is good things become God things. Can I give you an example? Paul says that governments are good, right? He says governments are given to us from God, and we need to be thankful for governments because they create order in our life. They protect us. And we're thankful for that protection. Now, now from my perspective, I'm always a little bit thankful when they're not too efficient. If you have any essence or any understanding of history, you understand Mussolini made the trains run on time, right? And so when the government's too efficient, I get a little bit concerned. So I don't get bent out of shape when things have a little bit of gridlock. <laughs> you guys can look at me weird if you want, but, but that's just kind of my libertarian way of looking at things. But we don't worship governments. We're thankful for governments, but we worship the God who gives us governments. There are a lot of things in our life like that. Jobs are good. If jobs are good, say amen, right? You know, we need jobs. We're glad for jobs. We're thankful for God's jobs, but, but, but we don't worship jobs. 
We worship the God who gives us our jobs. Money isn't evil. The love of money is evil. Money is, is, is you know, not evil or good. It's something we use and we need it, right? When, when, when you go to, to, the, to eat today and, and, and they give you your bill, you can't say, well, I just don't believe in money and I don't want to worship it, so... Uh, just give that bill to someone else, right? Money, money has a function, but, but we don't worship money. Family and friends are a gift from God. Folks, I am so thankful for my family and my friends. They're so valuable to me, but, but I've got to hold them in the right standing. They're not what I worship. I worship God. Education is important. I don't worship education. It's a gift from God. Tacos are important. They're valuable. They're good. Probably not good for us. But we don't worship tacos. Religion. You understand in the time of Jesus, religion had become a false idol? That the Pharisees, with their rules had made their personal piety their form of worship. That was their idol. You know, purity is not wrong. It's good. I, I, I strive for personal purity, but it's not about me. It's not, I am not the subject of worship. God is. And when our personal purity becomes the primary thing that we point to, God no longer is the focus, but we're the focus. Throughout history, there's been a lot of religious things that have turned to objects of worship, and they've replaced God. There's been pews, styles of worship. You know, sometimes people worship worship. Stained glass, Bible translations, there's an old sermon by a preacher, and I believe his name is Hayden or Haddon Robinson. Anybody ever hear this sermon, When Good Snakes Go Bad? Anybody ever hear this sermon? The essence of the sermon is that he talks about the bronze snake that Moses had lifted up in the wilderness. You remember the story? And the snake ends up in the tabernacle, and then it ends up in the temple, and they begin to worship the snake instead of God. And so finally God says, that thing has to go. It has to be destroyed. And then Hayden Robinson begins to go through things in the church that have become things that we've worshipped, that, that have misplaced God. What we do here is not meant to be worshipped. God is meant to be worshipped. You know, there um, used to be a lot of firebrand evangelists in the Church of the Nazarene. I heard a story years ago about one of them, and and I came and think of his name. I don't even know what it is. And I tried to find it. And I couldn't find it. But he, he had went to a church. I believe it was in Chicago. And they had, they had just, in this new Nazarene church, they had just built or added this beautiful stained glass window. It was beautiful. And the sanctuary was full. And he was supposed to preach a sermon to dedicate uh, the, the stained glass window. And when it came time for him to preach, he got up picked up his chair and threw the chair through the window and said, you're here to worship God, not a window. Now, I will say he paid for the window after he did that. 
But folks, we're here to worship God. You're not here to worship a preacher or a message or a way things look or a style. We are here to worship God. And when we misplace that and other things become important, they become idols in our life. See, all these things, they're good things, but they're not God things. They're from God, but they're not God. And we worship these things and they become idols. And all of these things can fail. Tacos will fail you, all right? Jobs can fail you. Money can fail you. Family can fail you. Friends can fail you. Our bodies will fail us. Religion can fail us. Governments can fail us. But God is still God. And so we still worship what is eternal and what matters. You know, it's been 20 years ago since 9-11. It doesn't seem possible, does it? Uh, how many of you in here were born after 9-11? About, probably about a tenth of us in here. Um, you know, it, it was such a shock. All of us can remember where we were, how we felt. You know, the, the fear, the, the anguish. The, it was like life was falling apart, but God was still God, Right? Even in the midst of that, God was still God. And, you know, I, I remember the next Sunday. Do you remember how crowded churches were? People came back to churches in droves. But then that faded. And pretty soon, people were back to their normal routine. And I think in that moment, people recognized all these things that we think are eternal aren't. But maybe this God is but some just floated back to false idols. False idols reveal our lack of trust in God. It's a break in our relationship with God. It's God, you can go so far, but I really don't trust you with everything. I'm going to do these other things just to make sure. They also represent a false dichotomy. A false division. That there was the duty people owed to God, religion, temple, church. It was represented for them by the temple. And then there was the rest of their lives, their normal lives. And this is where the bells and the Asherah poles were. They, they weren't in the temple. They were in their everyday life, not their religious life, not their God life. And you hear this in the voice of the prophets. So the, so the prophets would say things like, you have turned my house into a den of thieves. In other words, that they were living unjustly. They were living as if God didn't matter. They, they were robbing each other. That they were, they were living as if God wasn't God outside the temple. And then they would come to temple or they'd come to church. And for that time, they would feel good. It would make them feel safe and like they had done their, their due diligence give their money, spend their time. But then they would go out and live like they wanted to live. They never completely abandoned God, but they made him regional. They confined him to Jerusalem. They confined him to a temple. They confined him to a, a structure of religion. Do you understand God's not confined by any of those things? That when, when the veil 
and the temple was torn in two, that wasn't because God was finally free. God was always free. But he wanted people to understand that there was no longer this division between the sacred and the religious and the rest of our life. You know, we see this a lot in our world today, this division between the sacred and the secular life. To God, there is no division. All of life is holy and sacred and belongs to God. When you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, when you go home from this place, when you're sitting at your table with your family, when you engage with your neighbors, God sees that as holy and significant and it belongs to Him. It doesn't mean we never laugh and never have fun and there's never light moments and we can't ever watch a football game again, even though some of you don't want to, right? I mean, they've lost a game. Why watch the rest of the games? But God is present in those moments. He wants us to understand that in those moments, He is still God. He wants to be God in all of your life. There's no church life in God, work life on my own, family life on my own, free time. God wants to be Lord of all. And so the question for us today, what good thing have you made a God thing? What what, what thing that's good, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad, I'm not saying you need to eliminate it from your life. It's a good thing, but you've made it a primary thing, a God thing. Are there things... You're trusting more than God? Is your family more essential than God? Is your job more essential than God? Is your IRA account more essential than God? Is God confined to your religious space or does your everyday life belong to God? Romans 12, 1 and 2, if you don't know it, you hear it all the time from me. It's my life first. It's the context of how I understand sanctification, holiness. Romans 12, 1, 2, it explains things to me, and it just makes sense to me. And I more and more, you know, I was first encountered, not through Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message, but through just typical translations, New American Standard Version, the NIV, the King James. And so, you know, this ideal of transformation. But Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, it's genius. It's inspired. God is using him to say this in a way, this powerful verse in a way that I believe speaks to us today. It's today's message in a nutshell. Romans 12, 1 and 2 in the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, 
always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Let's bring the lights down just for a moment. It's um, 3 till 10, 957. Um, I'm going to give you just a moment. Maybe, maybe God's speaking and you, you, you want to respond in prayer at an altar and that, that they're always available for you. Maybe you want to just spend some time praying in your seats and then I'm going to close this in prayer in just a moment. Lord, give us awareness. Help us to see as you see. Lord, if there's idols in our life, if there's things that we're trusting more than you, can you reveal it? Lord, oftentimes we understand that these aren't bad things or evil things, they're good things. They're, they're given by you. And yet we begin to worship the blessing instead of the blesser, the giver of life. You alone are worthy of our response, our worship. And Lord, the invitation is not simply for your benefit, but for it's, it's for our good. Because in that response to you, when we make you the only thing that we worship, all these things don't fade. But Lord, you bring life to them. Family is better when you're number one. Work is more satisfying when you're number one. Money doesn't have a hold on us when you're number one. So Lord, help us. Lord, help us to purge those false idols. Now, Lord, as we go from this place, we understand that we're not leaving your presence. That, that you're still with us, that you go before us. And so, Lord, we're not leaving religious sacred time to normal time. But, Lord, as you fill those moments, as we allow you to invade our life in those areas, ordinary moments can become sacred and holy. Lord, as I say that, I think of the imagery you give of yourself. It's funny, Lord, how sometimes we'll take these things and, and almost act like it's a drudgery. But you call yourself Father. Jesus is brother. And I think of those moments with Father and brother in this life and I realize those moments are moments full of joy 
Lord, help us to see you differently. Not, not as someone who demands allegiance for the sake of allegiance, worship for the sake of worship, but you love us so much that you call us to love you back in the same way. Now, Lord, as we go from this place, we're going to trust you. When all else fails, we're going to trust you. And Lord, we're going to give you praise, not with just our lips, but we're going to give you praise with the way we live our lives. Go with us and be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless, folks.